Kindred Church is a Christian community gathering in Reno, Nevada. We employ a dialogical teaching style, but for the sake of privacy, we remove the participants' responses from the recording. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about the church and for our service time, location, and virtual gathering options, visit kindredchurchreno.com. Jesus is alive! Right? Jesus is alive, which is a relief to me. If you're here on Good Friday, I was like blubbering like a child. But he's alive. It's Easter Sunday, and Jesus is alive. If, you haven't, uh, if you're not familiar with the tradition, uh, in Christian tradition, we say, he is risen. He is risen he's risen indeed. That's right. And I'm so relieved that Jesus is alive. So let me just read a few passages of scripture to you. First Peter 1.3 says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First Corinthians 6.14 says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And Romans 6.5 says, For we have been united. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Do you realize what that means? (laughs) Like to us, we have a faith that death is not the end, right? Death is just a doorway. Do you believe that? Because to be honest, I barely believe it, (laughs) right? It's hard to believe that. We don't have a lot of evidence to the contrary. It seems like when people die, it's kind of Finalish, um, but Jesus resurrected from the dead. And the main reason that uh, we like that I even have that difficult construct is because I haven't seen the resurrected Jesus. So why don't we just take a minute and read a little statement from somebody who has, shall we? This is a couple of excerpts from the Apostle Paul's writings in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. Um, it's a little bit long, but I mean, it's all. Resurrection gold. So we're just going to go through it. It says this, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 people at the same time, most of whom are still living. You can go ask them. Though some have fallen asleep. I'll get to that in a second. Um, They're not just taking a nap. Well, they're kind of taking a nap. Well, we'll get to it later. In a minute. Give me a minute. Just give me a minute. All right. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, appeared to me. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only we have hope in Christ for this life, then we of all people are most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. 
When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. I mean, come on. That's just like gold right there. Death has been swallowed up in victory. On Palm Sunday, we talked about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he keeps on saying, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. Well, on Easter, Jesus says, you've heard it said that when you die, you stay dead. But I tell you, nope, not the case, right? You want to know why I worship Jesus? Why I follow Jesus? Why buy into Jesus's vision for the coming kingdom? Why I trust that Jesus really will return one day and bring true shalom and true peace to all of humanity, society, and in the natural world. And why I have personally given my entire life to serving Jesus and caring for his church. Do you want to know why? Because I don't know anybody else who's resurrected from the dead. Do you? Anybody else? Raise your hand. Know somebody who's resurrected from the dead? Anybody got a weird uncle who was a traveling preacher, a homeless guy, decided to just get up from the dead one day on their own accord? No? Nobody? Here's why that's important. More than just the simple fact that Jesus broke physics and metaphysics simultaneously. But look, if you look around the world and you see all the things that threaten us, the things that threaten our peace and our safety and our way of life, whether it's the COVID pandemic, the, the bubbling preamble to World War III that might be happening right now in Ukraine, or the slow simmer of climate change, the basic threat that all of these present is what? Death. It's just death. Just a little death, right? <laughs> According to these passages, we have nothing to fear when it comes to death. Death has lost its sting, Paul goes on to say. This is why the early Christians, like we read in this passage, referred to death as sleep. It's just a nap. I mean, it's a long dirt nap, but it's a nap nonetheless. And I don't want to downplay you know, the pain of death, especially the pain that is endured by the survivors of the deceased. It's a big deal. Like More than likely, everyone in this room has faced the harsh, brutal reality of a world that's missing a loved one. You know, it's like, a painting that just has the color removed or like walking into your house and all the furniture is missing. Like it's a, it's a strong and ubiquitous feeling, something that humans across the board understand. But the hope of Easter is that that's temporary. It says Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Paul says the first of those who have fallen asleep for in Adam all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. All will be made alive. What does all mean? Well, <laughs> Google says, used to refer to the whole quantity or extent of a particular group or thing. All will be made alive. The whole quantity, the whole extent, all. So who's going to be made alive? All. All will be made alive. There's this weird little parable. It's more of an aside that Jesus says in the, in the gospel of Mark. He says, no one can enter into a strong man's house without first tying him up. And then he can plunder the strong man's house. And it's like, thanks, Jesus. That's some great advice. Next time I need to do a B&E. But clearly that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about death. He was saying, I'm going to kick down death's door and I'm going to rob him of all of his claimed souls. 
I'm going to tie him up and march every captive out right in front of his face. Death is going to think he's winning when he sees me on the cross, but what he doesn't know is I'm about to crash his party. He thinks he's claiming my life, but all he's doing is letting me in the front door without a struggle. Death cannot contain my life. My life overflows death. My life bursts death's seams and pops death's rivets. How? Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, every rogue power that rages against God's rule uses death as its main weapon. The threat of death is the thing that keeps us in fear. And it's the pangs of grief, grief that keep us avoidant of even thinking about death. And Paul says in Ephesians that our battle as people is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. We're not enemies. Like humans, we're not enemies with each other. We're friends and brothers and sisters and partners, but our enemy, our common enemy is death. And Jesus is telling us he's tied up in the corner. So like, so what happens now? You know, what, what are we afraid of? This very reality is why Jesus, more than any other commandment in the New Testament, tells us this, his disciple to do one thing. Do you know what it is? Does anybody know what it is? Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. More than any other commandment, he says, fear not. Because the root of our fear is death and death has lost its sting. Death is defeated, humiliated, tied up. Psalm 68 says, our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies, which is brutal. Um, but in Genesis three fifteen, it says, I will put, uh, this is God speaking, enmity between you, and he's talking to the serpent, which is, you know, the Satan or, or death's keeper, and Eve's offspring, which is Jesus, and Jesus will crush your head. And that's what Jesus did when he walked out of that tomb. Jesus' resurrection cures our fear of death. Like, if this is real, guys, we're going to resurrect from the dead. Like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm just kind of, give me a second. We get caught up on my notes here. Um, if Jesus really did resurrect, and if he holds true to his word, you are going to resurrect from the dead. Just imagine it, okay? If you would with me. At the end of your mortal life, darkness wraps around you like a black blanket. And then suddenly there's light. And slowly you start to gather your thoughts and you realize that you can hear like bird songs and you can smell the earth and feel this soft grass beneath your head and like tickling the backs of your ears. And you realize that you're outside, but you're perfectly comfortable. And then you start to hear the voices of other people vocalizing their own surprise and elation as they arrive at the same conclusion that you are in this exact moment. 
And that sound swells and grows into a roar of joy and laughter and applause. And before you're even able to pull yourself to your feet, Jesus comes over to you, kneels down and reaches out and goes, hey, buddy, time to get up. I know, crazy, right? (laughs) But that's the hope of the resurrection. That's what we think is actually going to happen. I mean, I don't, I mean, that's just my imaginative recreation of what it might be like. We don't know what it'll actually be like, but that's not the point. The point is that it will actually be. It will actually be. You know, the last several years have been sort of a roller coaster for me as an individual, not just because of life circumstances, though there have been many unpredictable life circumstances, but it's been a roller coaster because a few years ago, I realized that much of what I considered to be kind of like ubiquitous to Christianity, what I believed to be sort of like a prerequisite of beliefs, just weren't. They weren't. And it all started for me um, around the whole discussion about what a woman should or shouldn't do when it comes to like church and in the home. And not even just saying that sentence like grosses me out. It's like, just tastes like patriarchy. It's like, Um, but... At the time, I just took it for granted. Like men were God's appointed leaders in the church and in the home. And then I realized that this just didn't work for me and for Liz. Liz is my wife, if you haven't met her yet. Um, This like theory of civility and how to operate simply didn't describe what we were experiencing and it didn't help us flourish. In fact, the harder we try to just like trust the process and do it, the more pain it caused. So I turned that rock over. Like I started to wonder if it truly belonged in the set of Christian doctrines that were handed to me through my faith tradition, which is, you know, conservative evangelicalism. I just was like, does this even belong here? Now see all my critics that are listening to this podcast, like afterwards are going to be like, see, I told you it's a slippery slope. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It is a slippery slope. You're right. You got me there. Because once I realized that this like at the time seemingly foundational practice was just one very literal interpretation to a couple of extremely obscure passages, I was freed up to like discover what I actually believed. So it started with the whole egalitarian debacle and then it moved to God's sovereignty and predestination. Then it was theories about atonement and judgment in the afterlife. And then it was about LGBTQ plus inclusion and affirmation. And one by one, each one of these things buckled under the pressure of honest scrutiny. It was, it was definitely a, a snowball. It was a slippery slope for sure. But it was like that scene in the Wizard of Oz where they pull the curtain back and realize that the great and powerful Oz is nothing other than an illusion. Once you realize that, that one thing is just a construct, you can't stop. You can't be satisfied until you've overturned every rock. So that's what I did. That's what I've been doing for the last like half a decade, it feels like. And here's what I'm getting at. It's been kind of a weird tangent, but through all the doubt and all the deconstruction and all the searching and questioning and scrutinizing and reimagining and recalibrating, the only thing that stood up to the test is the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. As I read earlier uh, this morning, there is so much direct and clear writing from the apostles that they believed Jesus literally and physically resurrected from the dead. 
They were not confused about that. Not only that, there's extra biblical sources that describe the Christian movement. And it's clear that these people really truly believe that Jesus raised from the dead. One of the Roman emperors even named Claudius um, made an official edict to bring the death penalty to anyone who would sneak into a tomb and steal a body. Like, why would he do that unless a missing body was stirring up some real controversy in Rome at the time, you know? So after considering all these sources of information, there's a few things that we can logically conclude. One, Jesus of Nazareth did in fact die by crucifixion. Um, Two, his disciples genuinely believed that he did in fact resurrect from the dead and physically appeared to them. Three, the church prosecutor Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul the Apostle, who wrote 1 Corinthians, which we read earlier in the text, suddenly, or earlier in the message, suddenly converted to Christianity despite his previous efforts to destroy the Christians and despite the fact that it utterly destroyed his own reputation to do so. Fourth, the skeptic James, who was Jesus's brother, began to believe despite his entire adult life, suspecting that Jesus was a lunatic. And five, the tomb, in fact, was empty on the third day. Those are five details about the resurrection that we know to a degree with clarity historically. Now, what you do with that information is up to you, right? We can choose to believe that the disciples and the followers of Jesus and Paul and Jesus's own family were just fooled by some kind of an illusion. Or we can choose to believe that the disciples really did steal Jesus's body. And then they proceeded to fabricate or or this like intricate lie about him resurrecting from the dead in order to start their own religion. Or maybe he did it. Maybe he actually resurrected from the dead. Maybe he was telling the truth. Maybe he really was the son of God. And here's the thing with, all of Jesus's own statements implying that he was the son of God and that he would in fact die and rise again. The only choices you have are one, Jesus was right. Or two, he was delusional. That's it. You don't really get a middle choice without abandoning, abandoning intellectual integrity. And so all of us have to decide, was he delusional or did he really do it? Was he a lunatic or is he the Lord? And if he's the Lord, then what does that mean for us? If he's the Lord, it means a few major things. It means that we will indeed resurrect one day. It means that God's kingdom will indeed come and God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means that Jesus's commandment to us to love God and love neighbor is indeed the highest function of the human person. It means that our sins are indeed forgiven. And it means that God does indeed love us. And most importantly, it means that Jesus is alive. He is risen. 
We hope you enjoyed what you just heard. Kindred Church is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you find value in the ministry of Kindred Church and would like to contribute to our efforts, visit kindredchurchreno.com to donate. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email kindredchurchreno at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.